All right, we're gonna jump right in today. Uh, not a lot of time for introductions. We're going right to this text. If you find outlines to be helpful, then I have an alliteration of G's for you today. We are first going to consider together the good book, and then guilt, and then gore, and then we're gonna consider the grace of God. So we begin with the idea of the good book. I suspect that all of us, whether on TV, movies, reading, in books, or just in conversation, have heard people refer to the Bible as the good book, right? And what people will say is something like, well, as the good book says, do unto others, or something like that. Or many times it's used kind of tongue-in-cheek. It says, as the good book says, and then something is said that's actually not in the Bible as well. Well, I submit to you this. If all you possess of the Bible was the book of Judges, or if all you had ever read of the Bible was the book of Judges, you would be hard-pressed to call it the good book. In fact, I suspect that you might try and figure out some other adjectives that would be more apropos to this book. Perhaps you would call it the awful book or the, the brutal book. There is much that is in this book and we're gonna be confronted by it. That to use a word by theologian Michael Wilcock who wrote a commentary on the book of Judges, there's much in this book that we will find to be in fact repulsive. It's the only way to describe the things that we're going to see. Now we're gonna come back to that idea in particular uh, just in a few minutes when I get to the gore section of this. But our reactions to this book, shaped as they are unavoidably by our modern sensibilities, our reactions to this book, notwithstanding, the book of Judges is in fact in your Bible. So I don't know if today you opened your Bible to it or not, or if you just followed along in the Bible, but if you don't have your Bibles today, if you didn't bring them with them, you can go home and indeed you can find the book of Judges to be in your Bibles, which means in fact that this is the word of God. It is included in the word of God to make its particular and unique contribution toward the task that belongs to all scripture. And the task that belongs to all of the word of God is to inform us of what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Those two things, and Judges is included in scripture to do that exactly for us. Let me break that down a little bit. Let me let me take us to two parts, two passages in the New Testament, both of which we're very familiar with, and try and show us how Judges relates to both of those. First this, recall that when Jesus had been resurrected, he was, the, the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and he approached those disciples, and then later he joined the rest of the disciples in Jerusalem. And he, and this is what is recorded in scripture, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's Luke 24, 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In particular, what that meant in the context of what Jesus is saying is that Jesus showed them how 
everything that was written in Scripture, everything that was written in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms pointed to him, pointed to himself, to Jesus himself. He showed them how all of the Scripture was fulfilled in him, that it was, in fact, his story that we were reading in the Old Testament. And if that is true, then that means that Judges, which by the Jews, by the Israelites, was considered to be part of the prophetic literature of the Old Testament, that means that Judges is going to teach us about Jesus. Now, we might not see that right away, but that's what we're going to keep in mind. And that is a good thing from the good book that this book will teach us about Jesus. Secondly, another passage for us to consider, one that is very familiar to us from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As children of God, we want to be like God. We want to be like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And Judges is part of the curriculum that God has provided for personal and corporate reformation. The book of Judges is part of the way that God does exactly the work that is described in Timothy of reproving us, of correcting us, of teaching us about righteousness. And therefore, what you can expect as we go into the book of Judges is that the thorns of the book of Judges are going to poke you. They're going to prod you, perhaps in places that you haven't been poked and you haven't been prodded before, with the goal that God takes the things that are in this book and he uses them to produce in our lives godliness. Godliness of heart, godliness of life, and of conduct. And that is a good thing. It's not a pleasant thing. It won't be pleasant to go through the book of Judges, to be poked by those thorns. But it is a good thing from the good book. All right, the next G is guilt. The book of Judges is full of guilt. And not just the feeling of guilt, not just I feel guilty. It is full of guilty people. People who have broken the law and the commands of God and closely associated with guilt is the idea of justice. And so what we will see, what we will be confronted with for 21 chapters, for 400 years of Israel's history is the execution of justice upon guilty people. If Joshua had as its theme, or at least part of its theme, the execution of justice upon the Canaanites. And it did have that as its theme. The Israelites went into the land not only to possess the land that God had given to them, but to judge these nations who had acted wickedly. They were to be the instruments 
of God's execution of justice. Well, if that was the theme of Joshua, then the theme of judges is the execution of justice on guilty Israelites, on guilty Canaanites in Joshua, and now on guilty Israelites. God shows no partiality. And chapter 1, which we've just read and in the sections that we didn't read as well, sets up the foundation of that guilt and of the judgment that occurs throughout the rest of the period, the rest of the book. We don't have to turn to this right now. Maybe later if you'd like to, you can take a look at it. But you can turn to Exodus chapter 23, to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and others, and see, by way of, of reminder, that there were two basic options that God gave for dealing with the Canaanites who were in the land when Israel was going. The two primary options were destroy them or drive them out. Now, there was one exception to that, and we saw it in the book of Joshua. Canaanites, like Rahab and her family, could convert. They could repent of their sin and join Israel. But in the main, that wasn't the case. In the main, what you had to do was either drive them out of the land or destroy them, because that is what God had, in fact, commanded. And if you don't, if you leave them there, they will become to you thorns. Judges 1 is a record of Israel's failure to obey. It is, as one author puts it, and I think this is helpful, especially when you lay it next to Joshua, it is not the record of a conquest. Instead, what we have here is the record of an anti-conquest of Israel's failure to take possession of the land that God had promised to them. And, and what you've got, just to set it up a little bit, I know we didn't read all of it, but what you've got in Judges chapter 1 is a geographical description of this disobedience, of this failure on the part of Israel. So we go from the south in Judah, and as chapter 1 reaches its climax, we, we end up with Dan. And we see a comprehensive disobedience on the part of the people of God. And basically, you just kind of work your way up through the tribes into the northernmost part of Israel. And as you see that geographically, you see it morally as well. So if you will, the best of the worst is Judah. And it gets worse and worse and worse as you go north and end up with Dan. But make no mistake, just to be clear, Judah is guilty as well. They should have killed Adonai Bezek. They shouldn't have tortured Adonai Bezek as Canaanites do, as Adonai Bezek did. They should have killed him. They should have destroyed him. And this passage probably seems a little bit familiar to you, and it should because it is very similar to what will take place 400 years later with Saul. When Saul doesn't kill Agag, when he doesn't kill all of the sheep, and he is confronted by Samuel with his failure to do this, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? God might come to Judah and say, what is this man doing here 
without his thumbs and without his big toes. He ought to be dead. Not only there, but Judah should have driven out the people who had the iron chariots. They should have driven out the people of the plain. It says that they couldn't, but they should have. It was a failure to pursue that which God was giving into their hands that led to this. Verse 19. Judges 1 makes it clear that even though Israel over and over again in almost each of the tribes will gain the upper hand militarily, so, so much so that they are able to put the people into subjection, though they gain the upper hand militarily, she did not, Israel did not collectively fulfill the commands of God to drive them out or to destroy them. And the angel of God who comes in chapter 2 makes their failure and their disobedience unambiguous. There's no kind of commentary on it in chapter 1. You just read the bare facts in chapter 1. But when the angel of the Lord comes, it is very clear what Israel has done and how Israel has compromised and has, in fact, failed in that which she was called to do. Daniel Block, another writer, summarizes this saying, Israel goes from being the instrument of God's judgment to being the object of God's judgment. Joshua was a celebration. It was a celebration of God fulfilling the promises that he had made so many years beforehand, a celebration of God taking them out of Egypt and of bringing them into this land. The book of Judges, on the other hand, is characterized by a compromising tolerance. It is a chronicle of disobedience, of guilt, and of judgment on that disobedience. And so if Joshua is a celebration, then in fact, Judges is a lament. It is a book of lamentations because the people of God do not obey. And as such to us, when we read the book of Judges, it is for us a warning. Here are these words that don't apply, well, they completely apply to Judges. They weren't just written about Judges. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some, as some of them were. The book of Judges is a lament and it is a warning. All right, so good book. Guilt and now gore. So perhaps you say, okay, guilt is one thing. I can handle guilt. I know the Bible talks a lot about guilt, and that is necessary. But why then, if we're going to talk about guilt, why does it have to be so gory, so gruesome, so graphic in the things that it describes? Uh, there's another commentator that I love. I used him a lot and quoted him a lot when we were in the Joshua series. And he writes, Ralph Davis is his name. And I want you to listen to what he writes here about Judges. 
and gore. The church, in general, has a problem with the book of Judges. It is so earthy, so puzzling, so primitive, so violent, in a word, so strange that the church can scarcely stomach it. As with many Old Testament materials, the sentiment seems to be, quote, if we just study the epistles long enough, maybe it will go away. Maybe there just won't be a judges, or, or we can just look the other way. The church has her way of dealing with embarrassing scripture. Ignore it. Yet that is difficult to do with judges. It's just so interesting. Young folks in the church especially. I, I want you to hear what Davis has said right there. Because it is a charge in the world of the new atheism that is out there and in uh, virulent attacks against the church. One of the charges that will be laid is you haven't read even all of your scriptures. You say that it's a, a good book. But what about, and they'll point to sections of scripture like certain sections in Exodus, certain sections in Joshua, and certainly certain sections in Judges. And they'll challenge the goodness of scripture, the authority of scripture, because it's just so odd and so brutal. You, whether you remember every word from a sermon series, you won't, but you will be able to say, no, no, no. We looked at those things. We considered them. I want you to note that we are considering, we are considering together the book of Judges. I was tempted to title the sermon today, Off with the Thumbs and the Big Toes. Oh, that, way, that, that would just get to the heart of it. Judges begins with a gory mutilation. That's where we started. That's the first story of the tribe that God appointed to go first. And, spoiler alert, it only gets worse. It doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't clean up at all. It gets only worse than this. If it were only this, that would be one thing. It'll be much more brutal than what we have here. And you ask the question, why? It could have easily gone from its... I'll call its current R rating. You could have made it PG-13. You could have made it PG. All you needed was a little editing. Right? A director determines what level he wants the movie to come in, and then he edits accordingly. He takes out certain scenes. He, he just implies that a certain thing's happened rather than showing what that thing. That could have been done with the book of Judges. It really wouldn't have been that hard to do a few edits that keep us away from some of the worst parts of this. Why the graphic gore? Well, on one level, I suppose, they could say that all of the gore makes the reading more interesting and more memorable, keeps our attention a little bit when we're reading stuff like that, because you know, it's kind of like if I didn't expect that to be in the Bible, and there it is. But, of course, it's more than that. There is within all of us, I think, a desire to sanitize sin, to minimize it, 
It's a subtle effort at self-defense to say that sin isn't really so bad. That kind of stuff really doesn't dwell in my heart. I really wouldn't want that. And what Judges does is Judges rips that apart. By these stories, by this gore, it rips any illusions apart or delusions that we might have about ourselves apart. It employs the gore that is in the book for its shock value, forcing us to see the ugliness, forcing us to be confronted by the fact that, you know what, this is revolting. I might expect this if I went out to a horror movie. I was inclined to that kind of thing. I might expect it. But hardly do I expect it when reading Scripture. What, what the Spirit of God does with the book of Judges is he grabs us by the scruff of the neck and he says, look, don't turn away. You must be confronted by this ugliness. I, uh, I had blood drawn this week. And, uh, and the nurse, when she was getting ready to poke a, a, a vein, said, uh, said, you might want to look away right now. You might want to turn your face away uh, from this. Now, let me tell you, it was sanitized. The, the thorn she was going to use, which was a little thorn, it was sanitized. My arm was sanitized. She had gloves on. She had you know, rubbed the alcohol on the spot where she was going to take it and said, you might want to look away. Well, the Spirit of God says, don't look away. Don't look away. Look at the gore right here and understand the reality of sin. This is what sin does. This is what it really looks like. This is, these are the consequences of sin. This is the judgment that is given and it anticipates an even greater judgment which is to come. Judges is Dante's inferno played out on earth in anticipation of a greater judgment. Look at this judgment on your sin. No one, I've, no one can love the book of Judges. You know, you might say, I love the Psalms. I, I love Romans. I love Ephesians. No one. When we ask them, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Judges. You're not supposed to love the book of Judges. It is a warning. If you find it sickening, if you find it disgusting, if you find it abhorrent, then you're reading it correctly. Then you got it. That's the way you're supposed to react when you read this book. In secret, we sin, and secretly, we might think to ourselves, it's okay. Yes, I sinned, but no one then came through the door and cut off my thumb and cut off my toes as a result of the sin which I've done. But Judges proclaims its gory message. Some of you may have read it. I, I, I haven't read this book. I have it sitting on my shelf, but it's one that I, I didn't read. Uh, Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. A couple of, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years ago or so, Jerry Bridges wrote Respectable Sins. Judges screams at us, there are no respectable sins. 
This is what it looks like. You may try to minimize it. You may try to sanitize it. You may try and say it's not so bad. There are no respectable sins. It's not okay. And here's a 400-year window thrown up for us to see that. With that, we go to the last G, which is grace. You know what I find remarkable about the book of Judges? After 400 years of this, after 400 years of this, the Israelites still exist. They're still around. God didn't wipe them off the face of the earth, which seems to have been the just thing to do. Pure justice would have destroyed our fathers, our mothers in the faith. The wages of sin is death, and after that comes judgment. They should have been consumed from off the earth. And yet God, in covenant love and faithfulness, preserves his chosen people by periodically raising up these half-crazy people that he uses to deliver them just in the nick of time. Demonstrating unimaginable, unfathomable patience and grace. We can see it and we will see it in many ways throughout this book. But today, just notice that we can see it through the prism of the thorns. Adam and Eve should have died in every way, spiritually and physically, when they sinned. That was the sentence. That is what was told. Justice, they should have died. They don't die. They live. But the world is cursed. The world is cursed because now it grows up thorns. And they live in the midst of this world experiencing the curse of thorns. God commands the utter defeat, the utter destruction of the Canaanites. Or the warning is, and it's on the front of your bulletin, Numbers 33, 55, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. In Judges, they have failed. They have not heeded that warning, and so the angel of the Lord comes and in verse 3 of chapter 2 says, in fact, they shall become thorns in your side, and their gods shall be as a snare to you. The Apostle Paul picks up this language, this idea of the thorns in the passage that we read in our New Testament reading. And what Paul says and what he does here is he explains something that is almost inexplicable to us. He explains how God has the ability to transform thorns from merely being a means of destruction, from merely being a part of the curse that he has put upon us God is able to transform thorns into a means of grace. To use thorns in the life of his people to reveal our weakness, to turn us then away from ourselves and to look to a deliverer. 
and when we look to a deliverer, what do you find in the deliverer? You find a man with his back torn apart and bloody. You find a man with his hands and his feet pierced. You find a man with his side pierced, poking him, causing him to bleed all around. And when you look at his head, you find on his head a crown of thorns. And you look at him and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Thorns are for the guilty. Thorns are part of the judgment against sin. Thorns ought not be yours. Thorns ought be mine. It is a gory Savior that saves guilty sinners. He is not pretty as he saves. He is gory. Don't turn away. Neither pick your favorite judge, Gideon, nor Samson, nor Shamgar, nor any of the others can save. The surprise of judges turns out to be, ultimately, that in the face of all of the guilt and all of the gore that we are going to find in this book, the glory and the grace of God is revealed in the bloodied face of Jesus Christ. So may God bless us as we continue in the good book. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would be for us steadfast and sure. Help us to see Jesus, to see what he endured on our behalf. Help us to be warned, to be reproved, to be corrected, and help us not to take sin lightly. We ask this, Jesus, in your great name. Amen.